a Sunday school teacher has spent her time teaching her class that you could not earn your way into heaven. So after the class, she went to her students and she said, listen, what if I sold my house, sold my car, and had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church? Would I get to heaven? They all said, no, no. She said, well, what if I cleaned the church building every day and made it nice and neat? Would I get to go to heaven? They all said, no, no. He said, well, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And some little boy in the back raised his hand and said, you got to be dead. Now, for a child, that's probably a reasonable answer, but that's not necessarily true. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So, if we are alive long enough, we may see Jesus come back in our lifetime. So, do you have to be dead to go to heaven? No. Absolutely not. Well, does that mean everybody gets to go to heaven? Nope. Look over at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It says, not everyone who says, oh, Lord, I believe in Jesus. Oh, Jesus is great. Oh, I love the God. Just because you say that does not mean you're going to make it to heaven. But what do we got to do? What Jesus says, only he who does the will of my Father. So we got to focus on doing God's will, not saying I'm a Christian and living a different way, but make sure that our lives match what we're saying. So the first thing we got to understand in order to get into heaven is that is this. Look in Titus chapter 3. Let me make this clear before we get into what needs to happen. Titus chapter 3. I want to bring about clarity here. Verse 5. It says, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. The first thing we need to understand is that it's not because of anything we do that we get to go to heaven. It's all because of God. Look over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works 
so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It says it's not by our works. It's not by something we did. It is a gift of God. Salvation. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Romans 5, verse 15 and 16. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many die by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. Let me put it this way. If you work 40 hours a week and you receive your pay at the end of that time, that's a wage. You earned it. When we compete in athletics and you get a trophy, you earn that prize. When we are working and we see recognition or an award, that's something you get for the hard work. But when you're incapable of earning a wage, you can win no prize or deserve no reward, but yet receive the gift anyway, that's grace. God is very clear about this. We cannot earn our way to heaven. You will never deserve salvation. It's a free gift. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. None of us can. Now, does that mean we can't do anything at all about salvation? No. Look over in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 29. This is when Paul and Silas were in jail, and they were singing hymns. And then the angel came and unleashed their chains and rescued them. But in verse 29, it says, The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now you look at this and you say, well, wait a minute. This jailer asked, what do I do in order to have salvation? So that's a legitimate, logical question. What do I need to do? Paul, I mean, he didn't get upset. He didn't rebuke him. How dare you ask me that? This is a gift of God. You need not ask anything. He didn't have that kind of attitude. He thought that's a legitimate question. So they told him, first of all, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus. And then they went and taught him the scriptures and taught everybody in his household the scriptures. And then they got baptized. So what must I do? That was the question. That's the question for us, too. Look over in Acts chapter 2. This is the same question that Peter was asked. Look in verse 36, Acts 2, 36. He had preached to the crowd at Pentecost, telling them because of Jesus, he was the Son of God. The miracles prove it. He died and was raised on the third day, but he died because of your sins. And in verse 36, he said, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, look at, look at their response. It said they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now again, we're talking about a free gift from God. But yet they're saying, well, what should we do? What should we do? How do we do this? Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. Peter did tell them they need to do something. He told them they need to repent and to be baptized. So on one hand, this is a free gift. On the other hand, there's some things you got to do. It's like, okay, wait a minute, this just doesn't make sense. Well, let me illustrate it for you. Because I need illustrations, because I'm, you know, a lot of football hits to the head. I need to make it simple. Say a wealthy man wrote me a check for a million dollars. It didn't happen. It's an illustration. But in order to, to have this check cashed, i got to take the bus to the train to the bank to sign the check. Now, is that million dollars still free, even though I had to go through all I had to go through? Well, what if the radio station called you up and said, hey, you just won a trip to the Caribbean. Get on the bus. Get on the train, come down, do a 10-minute interview on the radio, and then sign the contract, and the trip is yours. Is that trip still free? you got to look at it. Being required to do those things doesn't make it any less free than it is. But here's the thing. The person that gave the gift has some stipulations of what you need to do before you get that gift. The gift is still free, but this is what you need to do before you pick up that gift. And that's exactly what the Bible talks to us about. Salvation is free, but there are some things you need to do before you get that free salvation. What is it? Number one, you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's exactly what it talks about. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts 4, verse 12. Salvation, this is Peter, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which you must be saved. This is exactly what Peter is saying. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now we're going to talk more about that in a minute, but that's what you got to believe first. Secondly, in order to get this free gift, we have to repent of our sins. In other words, we turn away. That's what repent means, about face, turn away from it. Now, now, now picture yourself walking down the street to the bus stop, and right before the bus stop, there's three Rottweilers waiting there, foaming at the mouth, looking at you. Now what you going to do? You ain't going to go down there, oh, coochie, coochie, coochie. You're going to say, I'm going to take another route, and you're going to go a different way to get to where you need to go. It's not going to take you 15, 20, 30 minutes to pray about it and think, should I do this, should I not do You see that's not right, and you're going to make an immediate change in your direction. That's called repentance. See, so many times we fool ourselves into thinking we're repenting because we're going to pray about it for three months, fast for six more months, 
Sometimes you just need to say, that is stupid and sinful. Let me stop doing this and let me change and do something different. But that's exactly what Peter told them. They said in Acts 2.38, what do we need to do? He said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Listen, if you don't repent, your sins are not going to be forgiven. And if your sins are not forgiven, you're not going to make it to heaven. It's just that simple. I mean, the Bible says it all through the New Testament. It's just that simple. Your sins have to be forgiven. And they're not forgiven unless you repent of those sins. Look in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Peter says the same thing in a little different way. Acts 3, 19. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know why some of us aren't refreshed? Because we're not repentant. We're hoping, we're wishing, but we're not repenting. This, this new year could be just an incredible year for you. It could be a refreshing year for you if you repent. If you don't repent, new year, same you. You've got to ask yourself, am I refreshed? Or am I still angry, still bothered by the same thing, still frustrated? Still hopeless. It just takes repentance. Well, I don't know how to. Ask somebody. I appreciate what Cedric said. You know, we need to look out for each other. We need to be the eyes for each other. We need to help each other. If you don't know how to, ask another brother or sister in Christ to help you. Well, that's my problem, you know. I don't like to ask for help. Let me just say, as a former firefighter, stop, drop, and roll does not work in hell. We need to get some help. That kind of took us for a loop, didn't it? Everybody was like, what was that? Look in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may occur. Repentance leads us to our sins being wiped out. Well, what does that mean? Look in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Guys, some of us, you're still here because God is just being so patient. He's like, when are you going to get it? When are you going to get it? I'm being patient with you. Patience will run out at some point. Which means we need to take advantage of his patience right now and repent. So, first of all, God asks us if we want this free gift to believe in his son Jesus. Secondly, we need to repent from our sinful ways. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. It says here that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. What are we to confess? Our sins? Well, well, that's not what Romans 10 is talking about. Usually when we hear people say confess, immediately we go to our sins. That's not what it's referring to here. Now granted, we do need to confess our sins to God and other people at times just to get help. But Romans 10 is telling us something a little different. He said we need to confess that Jesus is Lord and Master. In those days, when you called somebody your Lord, you were declaring that you were a slave to them. They were your master. When we confess Jesus is Lord, we're declaring that he owns us. He owns your house, your car, your kids, your time. He, be- he owns everything about you. If he doesn't, he's not your Lord and master. I mean, even though you still possess things, they don't belong to you anymore. The money you spend in your wallet, that's God's money. So are you going to spend it on godly stuff or some Hennessy? What are you spending God's money on? That bus pass you got, that ain't yours. That's God's. Where are you taking it to? Fellowship time or the club? Those kids you got in your house, those ain't your kids. Those God's kids. You leasing them things. So you know what? That means when you're at home with them, you need to give them a godly example because your master and Lord is watching them, looking at them. Your house, your apartment, your car, that's not your, that's God's. So how clean is God's apartment? How clean is God's house? Boy, if some of us was the innkeeper, it would not be room for baby Jesus. Because it'd be such a mess in the end. That's not yours. If Jesus is your Lord and Master, it's all His. But how many of us act like it's His? How many of us live like it's His? No, this is my stuff. Increased contribution of dollars? Mm-mm, I ain't doing that. I did that last year. It ain't your money. But if it is your money, you're not going to increase it a dollar. Because that's your money. See how quiet he got on that one? Ain't nobody but Valerie said anything. It's like, mmm. Because we don't want nobody messing with our money. Don't mess with my time. Is it your time or is it God's time? You need to have fellowship time. Help you in your marriage. Help you in your parenting. Help you in your finances. I ain't got time for that. Is it your time or God's time? See, it's all about, is Jesus Lord and Master? Or is he just a good religious person that you follow? See, that's exactly what Jesus was to Judas. Everybody else said, Jesus was Lord, but not Judas. He called him rabbi, which means simple teacher. Is Jesus a teacher or your Lord and Master? See, apart of becoming a Christian is confessing or declaring that Jesus is now your Lord and Master. See, he said, you say it. And just because you say it doesn't make it true. He's looking at your heart. You can say Jesus is Lord, 
But is he looking at your heart and saying, yeah, that's true, or mm, that's a little shaky one right there? It's just that simple. And today we have the privilege of watching three different people getting baptized in Christ. And that's very encouraging. Uh, if you guys can go ahead and get backstage and get prepared for the baptisms, that would be great. But let me say this. One of the people getting baptized is Nyrell, teenager over here. And I got to say, I've been doing teen ministry for a long time. I ain't going to tell you how long, but a long time. And he is probably one of the most mature 10th graders I've ever seen make a commitment to Jesus being Lord. Okay, half the church is getting up right now. I understand that. But I'm not done with my sermon. We only talked about two things so far. So we need to make sure that Jesus is the Son of God, that we repent. Underlay, underlay, FYI. But the third thing that needs to happen is baptism. Baptism needs to happen. And this is an issue that a lot of people take issue with. Because if salvation is a free gift, why do I need to get baptized? I mean, people are physically putting me underwater. That means I'm doing something. This is a free gift. It shouldn't be that. You know, those are the people that, that want to just pray Jesus in their heart or just feel like they're right with God. Two unbiblical things. Never did Jesus say, pray me into your heart. Never did he say, I feel you. Unbiblical. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. First Peter 3, verse 21 says, Let me find it. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is an appeal to God based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's a place where God promises to save us from our sins. That's exactly what he talked about in Acts 2.38. Peter said it again. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. In Acts 22, look over there in verse 16. Acts 22, 16. Paul is telling them about his conversion, about how he got converted, how he was on the, on the road to Damascus and how he was blinded uh, by the light of Jesus and he had to go three days being blind. And then all of a sudden he goes, uh, uh, Ananias shows up and comes and helps him. And look at what it says in verse 16 once he got a chance to talk to Ananias. Acts 22, verse 16. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Baptism was the place where Paul's sins were washed away 
and he called on the name of the Lord. And let me be clear before we close out here. Without faith, without repentance, without a willingness to make Jesus Lord, baptism is just an issue of getting wet. Let me make that clear. Just because a person is baptized does not make them a disciple of Jesus. Because you've got to also have faith in Jesus, you've got to repent of your sins, and you've got to be willing to make him Lord, and you a slave to him. You say, now, now, why would somebody just get wet? Well, sometimes people feel like they're doing the right thing, but they don't live like they're doing the right thing. Guys, we've got to make sure the lifestyle adds up to a disciple before you get into the waters of baptism. It's not going to get into the waters of baptism and then live the life. You're going to have to live that life, get your sins forgiven, then continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. But if you get out the waters of baptism and you live a life that's double lives, life in the darkness, you're not going to be one of those people floating up or rising from the dead when Jesus comes back. Baptism is like signing that contract to the Caribbean for that million-dollar check. It's a free gift, and you made the decision. I'm going to get on a bus, get on a train, go to the bank, sign it. You made that decision, but it still doesn't count until you get there and sign that contract, and that's what baptism is, the signature to that contract that is being signed. Now, our faith, our repentance, our confession, those things don't actually save you. What saves you is your faith in Jesus, the blood of Jesus. That's the saving thing. Those things of faith, of repentance, of making Jesus Lord, those are just the things that the gift giver is calling you to do before you get the gift. Just like the million dollars, he's asking you to get on the bus or the train, you're going to get on it. So God is saying, you need to also get on my program, and that is faith, repentance, and making me Lord. Let me close out with this. There's a story of a farmer who prayed to accept Jesus in his heart. Now that, again, is not biblical. But that's what he had been taught. And many people were taught that. you got to feel it. Just pray him in your heart. You'll feel him in there. Over time, the farmer began to be haunted by the guilt of his past. And as the case of many people who prayed Jesus in their heart, he prayed the prayer again and again and again. And he kept praying Jesus in his heart because he didn't ever feel safe. One day he had enough of the uncertainty of salvation. He took a hammer and a stake and went to the back of the barn and prayed the prayer again. But this time he took a knife and he carved the date into the knife, into the stake, I'm sorry, put the stake down there, and hammered it in there. From that day on, whenever he felt shame or guilt, as it swept over him, he would go back to the back of the barn and look at that stake with the date on it and say, Satan, I've committed my life to Jesus on that day. Get away from me. Now, did that work? It worked for him. Totally unbiblical, but it worked for him because he did in a human way what God does for us in a godly way with baptism. Because when you're baptized, on that day, you say, I made a commitment to Jesus. My life is dead, and now I am a newborn person. 
A new creation has come on this day. And if you walk around and ask any true disciple of Jesus, when were you baptized, they can tell you the exact day because they know life starts all over again at my baptism. Why would he do that? Because God wants you. This is, again, part of God's plan to make sure you are secure in your salvation. People that aren't baptized into Christ as a disciple, they're not secure in their salvation. They wonder. They doubt. They question it. But if you are a baptized disciple, this is why we study the Bible with people. We don't just say, come to church, feel good, like it, get into the water. That's not how we work here. We want you to study the Bible, understand it for yourself, know it for yourself. Make a decision to live that way. After you've made that decision, now it's time for you to say, Jesus is Lord, and get into the waters of baptism. Romans chapter 6, we close out with this one, verse 1. We really will close out with this one. What shall we say then? Romans 6, verse 1 through 5. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus died and was buried in the tomb and rose from the tomb. Everybody you're about to see have died to their old way of life. They're going to be buried in this waters of baptism, and at that point, that's when they are forgiven of their sins because of the blood of Jesus. And when they come up out of this baptistry, they're a new creation, a new. The old is gone, the new is coming. They'll walk away more secure. Brother, sister, listen to me. You need to remember the day you were baptized. Because God is saying that is a special day. That is a day for you. Do not ever let Satan make you doubt, make you wonder, confuse you. Because on that day, God said it is a new dawn approach. So what does it take for us to get to heaven? You don't have to be dead. Your time may come. Who knows how this world is? Jesus may be right around the corner. But the fact is we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We need to look at our lives and make some decisions on what we need to repent of. And we also need to make a decision, you know what? I need to quit playing around. I need to get into these waters of baptism so my sins can be forgiven. If you're busy with this, stop visiting. Study the Bible and get into the fight with us. Why sit there and visit when you can sit there and be a part of the solution to what's going on? It's just that simple. I love you. Thank you so much. And to God be the glory. Amen. All right.